As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Hello and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that gets Christians and non-Christians talking to one another about the matters that matter to all of us. I am your host, Andy Kind, and we have a real treat for you today. We are talking about truth and lies. Delighted to welcome back an alumni of uh, the Unbelievable show, Mr. Dan Barker from the United States. It's great to have you back, Dan. And joining Dan on today's episode, a, a newcomer a newbie, a greenhorn, also from the United States, is Max Stiles, author of the book, The Truth About Lies. Uh, my guests today have not met before, so this should be a real treat and very exciting. They come from very different perspectives and backgrounds. Max Stiles is the director of Messenger Ministries and was a pastor in Erbil, Iraq, for many years. Dan was also a pastor for many years and then decided to walk away from Christianity. In a radio broadcast in 1984, when I was three, he announced he had kicked the religion habit. He is now co-founder of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. You can catch up with Dan's previous appearances on the show by checking out the show notes. Today, we want to dig back into those knotty, gnarly questions that for many never seem to go away or get answered. So let's get going. Thanks for being on the show with us. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Good to be here. Okay, well, let's get, as we often do, uh, some backstories, customary on the show. So let's start with you, Mac, as, as the newcomer. Can you give us your backstory, um, how you came to this place, and also talk about the reasons why you wrote your recent book? Sure. Sure, Andy. I'm happy to do that. I grew up in sort of a, the south of the U.S. where everybody's a Christian I didn't think much about faith. I went to church like everybody else, but it was a very liberal, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, nice place. But there's no clear commitment to the gospel or the truth of Christ. I, I, I wandered around in that for a while. I pursued other things. I was more interested in just living life. I was a snow skier. And I wanted to race professionally. So I was at a skiing and mountain climbing school in Zermatt, Switzerland. This is back in the Paleozoic area, but around 1972. I was actually traveling to Switzerland before that in, in England and picked up a copy of C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Very strange uh, fantasy book about heaven or hell. And um, read that, was profoundly affected by that, and then ran into, of all places, on the ski slopes of Zermatt, a Christian who explained the gospel to me. I'd not heard it before. Uh, I'd, I'd been around people who, I guess, understood the gospel, but 
I'd never heard that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through repentance and belief. I thought we had to earn our way to God. I thought we had to be good. I thought we had to be moral to be a Christian. He explained, no, that Jesus purchased us out of being enslaved to sin through his death on the cross, and that by repentance and belief, I could have a personal relationship with him. So I bent my knee in a, in a, <laughs> in a bar uh, in Zermatt, Switzerland. You know, I don't know if it was a bar, bad youth hostel. <laughs> and um, my life was completely turned around. And uh, I am deeply, deeply in love with Jesus Christ. That's fantastic. And I'm sure lots of us have all bent our knee in a bar for various reasons. It's good that yours was uh, in confession to Jesus. So what about the reason for writing this book then specifically? Um, throughout the, the yeah. chapters, you, you deal with a lot of objections and um, suspicions about the questions that people are, are asking. So how did you come to compile those lists of I think, uh, yeah, this uh, it's a great question, Andy. I This book is not for atheists. In some ways, it's not for Dan. <laughs> this book is for someone who's, who's sort of checking out Christianity and has heard cliches about Christianity that I wanted to deal with. So the target is more to answer just general questions about what it means to, to, to really understand what the Christian message is about. And Part of the reason for that is we're not we're not just in a post-Christian world. We're we we're in a post-truth world, and so part of the genesis. I, I've been a campus staff worker on university campuses for years, uh, and uh, so part of it is the recognition that that that's happened on campus. It will happen in our societies if it hadn't happened already. So I just wanted to address some of those those things that I feel like are are cliches, cliched lies about Christian faith and about Jesus in particular. So it's primarily about equipping the saints for acts of service rather than reaching the lost in, in this case. No, I, no, I think it would be reaching those folks that are, are confused and not particularly people of faith, sort of where I was, you know, people who are, you know, just going about life and they don't, they don't have strong, you know, they don't have strong needs for rigid apologetics or, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're kind of the, I mean, there's lots of books like that out there, which are fine. Uh, but that's not the book I wanted to write. I wanted to write a book that was a winsome take on who Jesus is and how he feels about us, his life and the way he lived and what he calls us to now. Fantastic. Well, let's turn now to a man who is himself winsome, if you've seen him on Unbelievable uh, before and uh, is is not a confused man. Dan Barker, it's great to have you back on the show. Can you That's give it. us your backstory? Maybe start in 1984 and then uh, bring us very quickly up to date. Well, before 1984, um, I gave this story in greater detail on an earlier show, but to make it short, I was raised in a Christian family and I loved it. And I thought it was special to be called by God to be a part of his, his army, to be a part of his family. And I, um, I graduated from Azusa Pacific with a degree in religion. I was preaching every night of the week, almost every night of the week. I was a missionary to Mexico. I was a cross-country evangelist. I became ordained to the ministry, and I was an associate pastor in three different California churches. And then in my evangelistic ministry, I met really hundreds of pastors from all over the country, 
representing various denominations. I had written some Christian music published by Word Music and by Manor Manor Music and by Gospel Light. Gospel Light Publication put out some of my mini musicals for children during VBS. And so I was invited, I was getting invited just as much as a musician, Christian singer, songwriter, because a lot of these churches that performed on my music invited just as much as, as to be a preacher. And so I had sort of a, toward the end, a more musical preaching ministry, believing that Jesus was coming any moment, you know, the, like a thief in the night. And I wanted to bring as many souls into the kingdom as I could. And around the age of 30, which would be around, the eight, around 1980, I decided I needed to learn more. I mean, we always need to learn more. We're never done learning. And not so much about my faith, but I pre was preaching against humanism and evolution and the scientific worldview and the liberal, godless, you know. So I wanted to learn more, well, what, what actually am I preaching against? If you're going to make a good argument, you need to, you need to go against a steel man, not a straw man. I wanted to know, well, what does evolution say? What do, and so on. And as I learned and as I met a very cross-section of pastors, Christian pastors, I realized they don't all agree with each other. There is no one Christianity. And I, I met liberal pastors, moderate, conservative pastors, and we, we prayed and you know, we, we talked with each other, and they disagree with each other. And I realized there is no one Christianity. There are probably as many Christianities as there are Christians. And most of my deconversion from fundamentalist Bible-believing Christian happened within the Christian system, because most of the scholarship that is pretty much demolishing like biblical criticism comes from Christian scholars themselves, not from angry outside skeptics who are trying to demolish the faith. And as I was reading more and more, my views gradually migrated until I became more of a moderate. I started preaching less about heaven and hell and the afterlife, and I started preaching more about how do we live this life, kind of like standard Sunday morning fare. Uh, and as I moved and learned more and more about, wow, the reliability of the Bible, and for me it was the Bible. I eventually swung across that spectrum and realized, you know what, the Bible is not a reliable book. It is not that historical. It's not that scientific. It's, in fact, it's quite immoral in many of its teachings. It is not a very useful guide. And I still was a believer, but you know, there's a lot of ministers in the pulpit, and I know more than 1,200 of them, of them actually right now who have left the ministry in the clergy project. Some of them were still in the pulpit realizing, wait a minute, what I'm believing, I'm, I'm learning that it's actually not true. Christianity, what it teaches, is actually not true. Uh, and in many ways, it's actually dangerous if you were to follow those teachings. And so uh, it was in 1983 when I realized in my own mind, wow, you know what? I guess I don't believe. What does that make me? You know, and I didn't like the word atheist. I thought atheists were you know, you, you've heard from the pulpit, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're all corrupt. They're all evil. Psalm 14 says that. All, those who don't believe in God are corrupt, evil. They have never done a single good thing. So in my mind, the word atheist was like this big boogeyman, like a Satanist almost. But I realized, you know, if it's just the absence of belief in God, that's what I am. And it, in, in 1984, in January, I sent out my letter of deconversion to everybody I could think of family members, co-ministers, co-missionaries, Christian publishers, uh, you name it. I sent out this letter to them all saying, I don't believe anymore. And so stop inviting me to preach. Well, you can invite me to preach if you want, but it's going to be a different sermon from what you're used to. And uh, you, 
if you can imagine the response, I got it. I got loving responses from Christians who were still friends today. I mean, they're good people. Most Christians, I think, are good people. I also got some surprisingly ugly, hateful responses from Christians who I thought were friends. I thought we were really good, but but you, it's a good way to test your friendship, you know, to, to challenge something like that. I learned really quickly that they weren't really friends in the first place because true friendship is not contingent on whether you belong to the same club or the same church or the same ethnicity or whatever. True friendship is the natural mutual love and respect for each other. So some of those are still friends today. And uh, it was in 1984 that I went on that Oprah Winfrey show. And that's where I met Annie Laurie Gaylor, who's my wife now. You, and if you want to, you can watch that show. You just Google uh, Oprah Barker Gaylor. And you can see the day we met. You can see me with a lot of hair. <laughs> for the first time on that show, if you watch it, for the very first time is when I publicly spoke about my lack of belief before an audience. I'd never done that before. It was weird. And uh, it was a hostile audience. It was a great TV show. And I loved it. I thought, wow, this is great. I'm finally saying something that's getting a response from a congregation. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times when you preach, they're, they're, just, they're with you. They agree with you. And you're not getting that, that dynamic. So uh, there's a lot, lot, lot more to say. But I basically realized that uh, there, there's no real coherent definition of a God. There isn't. There's all these definitions. There's no good evidence for a God. Uh, if there were, we would see it. Somebody would have won the Nobel Prize by now for coming up with the evidence. But there is no good evidence. There's no good argument for a God. And I've done a number of debates on you know, first cause and design and morality and so on. There's no really good argument for a God. And there's no agreement among believers about this God. There's no agreement even though Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.10 said that you, you should all be of the same mind, let there be no disagreements. Can you think of a book that's caused more disagreements than the Bible? Christians don't agree with each other. They fight with each other. And uh, there's no good reply to the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. There is none. I mean, I know there are some theodicies that are put out, but there's no good one. And, uh, and, and then, of course, finally, there's no need for a belief in God. Tens of millions, hundreds of millions of good people on this planet loving, moral, family people who contribute to charity with meaning and purpose in their life, they don't believe in a God. It makes no sense to them. They don't need it. Their lives are wonderful and fulfilled and joyful and peaceful without it. So why torture ourselves and turn ourselves into pretzels trying to believe the, the beliefs of ancient people from thousands of years ago who are not as informed as we are today? Well, fantastic. Thanks, Dan, uh, for that uh, very substantive answer. We're going to turn back to uh, Mac now. It's interesting that it's not quite that the pair of you are ships passing in the night, but we've got Dan coming from fundamentalist Christianity, certainty, 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 doubt starts to get in. And then Mac on the other side, a sort of, as I understand it, living life in your younger years as a sort of deistic Epicurean, chasing pleasure, looking after yourself, <laughs> and then That's coming to that a good word. Yeah, coming to that um, understanding of what the gospel is, coming to Christ. So certainly, both been on very interesting journeys and arrived at very different points. And Dan has said a, a lot there, um, and maybe Mac, you think there's some hyperbole in what Dan has said, but. Where would you like to start? I mean, would it be a good idea to talk about what you think? Uh, Dan's kind of given us a tsunami of information. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's break it down then, because C.S. Lewis talked about mere Christianity. 
Let me say, let me say about religion and religious people and religious credentials and how little that matters. Um, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, the reason that Jesus does that is our works don't get us into heaven. I don't care how many sermons you've preached, how many missionary uh, short-term trips you've gone on, what you've done is not the point. What is the point is that we knew God and that he knows us, that Jesus knows us. So the reason he tells them to depart is because they are relying on their own efforts and their own works. So I'm never very impressed with people who tell me about all their religious credentials on one side or the other, either an atheist or a Christian. I want to know, do they have this relationship with God? Do they have a personal relationship with God that comes to us through repentance and faith? And we actually put our trust and faith in Jesus. So I, I mean, I that those are, again, those are the people I want to I want to talk to. I, I, when Jesus gives the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, um, what he what he says at the very end of that parable is, look, even even if Moses and the prophets spoke to these guys, they would they wouldn't believe. Lazarus wants. Uh, God to send someone back to uh, to speak to his brothers who are still on earth while he suffers in hell. And, um, uh, you know, the, the response of God to him is, look, even if someone rose from the dead, they wouldn't believe. So, again, you know, it, it's got to be something that we understand is beyond ourselves, what John Piper calls a alien righteousness. We have to we have to have God work in us, work in our hearts, and bring us to him in faith so that we're genuine believers. Of course people disagree. I mean, religion, of course people disagree. Jesus said, I come to bring a sword. Uh, it's very clear uh, that that we're not going to all agree. But one thing is true. Most people in the world are not atheists. The vast majority, 99% of the people in the world are believers in God in some way or another. So I, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think when we hear people talk often and no disrespect to Dan at all, but when we hear, when we hear people talk about good atheists, I don't think they see how much capital they're relying on from Christian culture. And uh, listen, I've lived my life about mu Muslims. Of course, they're good Muslims out there. Of course, they're people that don't believe that are good people. But I, I, Andy, I don't know if you or Dan, if you know the book called The Air We Breathe. Um, it's an excellent look at how much we've we operate on Christian capital and don't know that it's true. So if you look at Roman or Greek culture, you realize these, these guys are cruel and they, they believed in God too, uh, but their, their societies were horrible. It wasn't until Christianity came along that you see the kind of changes 
that Dan says is good. Kind of his moral, his moral worldview springs out of Christian culture. It comes from an understanding of what good and bad is. So The Air We Breathe by Glenn Scrivener. I don't know if you've read that, Dan. There's also yeah, that's right. Glenn. Uh, Dominion by Tom Holland, which talks about this Chris, Christian capital, the idea that really we're, we're standing and on Tom the is, bones. Tom Holland, I understand, is not a not a Christian. Isn't that correct, that's right. Andy? Tom Holland? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right, but has sort of transformed his, or had his view of the significance of Christianity, uh, its moral significance as well, um, affected by the research that he did and that has we've had tom on unbelievable and that has had a um a massive impact on a lot of people um so dan for you andy one other thing well let me yeah. let me say and personally you talk about us being ships in the night in some ways that's true my 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 degrees are in microbiology i i studied science um and i i applied myself for in the university to scientific principles and you know you can do the same thing with science that people do with religion you you can poke holes in science so when you start saying oh i believe in science or i i believe <laughs> you know i i believe in rational thought uh, you you could do the same sorts of arguments against that that you can do about anything so just a just as a point yeah sure well dan let's get you to respond then i wonder what you think about that idea of christian legacy and the fact that the the morals that we have today, the sense of value and dignity of, of human beings has been so impacted by Christianity, very different to how it would have been had the Vikings just taken over the UK and, and Europe. What, what do you make of that and how does that play into what you see as people living good lives and um, not needing to believe in God to able to uh, function ethically in society? So ethics and morality transcend religion and they transcend Christianity. I'm a member of uh, an American Indian tribe, the Lenape tribe. We, the, the government calls us the Delaware Indians. And my, my children are also voting members of the tribe. And our tribe was almost wiped out by those loving Christians who came over here with a Bible in one hand and a gun in the other to impose their colonial views upon our culture. And if what what Mac is saying is correct, that it was only Christianity who brought morality and goodness to the world. Then what do you say about my ancestors who lived on this continent for at least 15,000 years? This was 12,000 years before the world was created, if you believe in the young earth creation. Uh, they raised families. They had values. They had love. They had culture. They had morality. They treated each other. In fact, many of the writers of of Colonial Times pointed out that the Native American tribes had better values than the cultures that were brought over here by these rapacious Europeans who call themselves Christians, and look what they did. So yes, many Christians are good people. I think they're good people in spite of the Bible. I think Mac is probably a very wonderful person, but he doesn't get his morality from the Bible. What, is, what in the world is it in the Bible that tells us something that we don't already know? The golden rule had been said long before Christianity, and it had been said better then Jesus rephrased it, if Jesus said it or his writers said it. Uh, um, you know, Buddha said it like way, way back, or Confucius said it way back um, in, a, in a stronger way. It's not like it's some great religious truth, the golden rule to learn how to treat each other with kindness. 
And there are many, many ways to be moral. In fact, I think if you look at the lives and the studies show, if you look at atheists and you look at Christians, I think it is Christians who are borrowing from secular ethics. It's not the other way around. If you look at the ethics of the Bible, they are not good. In fact, I have one of my most recent books, God, the Most Unpleasant Character in All Fiction, 1,500 passages from the Bible itself showing that this God is really is a moral monster. Nobody that we should respect, and that includes Jesus. His teachings, Jesus said some good things. I mean, it would be surprising if he didn't. But on balance, any one of us could have come up with a better moral system than Jesus. Jesus said he boiled down the Ten Commandments to um, love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself. But if you love the Lord your God with all your might, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself. You're putting God in front of your neighbor. And look at look at the invading Christians in history. Look at what they have done to cultures that were not Christian. And in fact, the edict uh, from Spain right, right after Columbus came back, uh, what do they call that doctrine of discovery, treated them as non-humans unless they converted by the sword to Christianity. So yeah, I'm... I'm I don't want to paint all Christians with the same brush. I think many good Christians are borrowing from basic secular humanist morality. And yes, there were Christians who came to, to Europe. There were Christians who came to Rome. There were Christians who came to us who were good people, who brought good values. But on balance, it's nothing better or nicer. And, and of course, the big problem with this whole thing is that the Christian system itself is not true. You're building your house on the sand. It's a house of cards. The whole reliability of the scripture in which you think Jesus is a, a person that you can learn from, that whole system is unreliable. Why would anyone in the world want to go to some ancient book and say, oh, this is going to be the system that I build my life upon? When Jesus said, Jesus gave some advice that was actually not good. He said, if you lose a lawsuit, give more than the judgment. That's bad advice. How many Christians do that? If you, went to, if you lost a lawsuit, you have a responsibility to provide for your family. You, you lose a lawsuit. Are you going to give more? Of course you're not. That's, he's, you know, he's, he's talked about, maybe this is metaphorical, but he talked about cutting off body parts. He talked about a lake of fire. He talked about owning and beating slaves. In fact, Jesus, Jesus did show us some compassion when he said that there are some slaves you should not beat as hard as others. He never denounced the institution of slavery. He never said it was bad. He incorporated slavery as the normal part of his teachings, which it was in those days. Why didn't Jesus, if he was a good moral teacher, say, by the way, owning another human being is morally repugnant. You should not do that. He couldn't do that because he was stuck in the primitive morality of the people who wrote those books. So yes, he said a couple of good things, and I'm glad. I mean, we can borrow from Jesus, but on balance, uh, the Bible and the teachings of Jesus are not a good moral guide. Well, we've got some very tantalizing threads there to pick up on in the second section. We'll be back right after this break. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. 
And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask NT Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong, because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. Welcome back to Unbelievable with me, your host, Andy Kind. And today my guests are Max Stiles and Dan Barker, both authors, both at different points in their life, preachers and pastors. And we're talking today about truth and the truth about lies. And just before the break, we heard from Dan. Dan gave a, a lot of reasons why he thinks that Jesus should not be taken seriously, why morality and ethics have nothing to do with Christianity, that um, values transcend the religious mindset and thought structure, and want to go straight back in with Mac and give you, sir, a chance to respond to what you heard before the break. Yeah, well, you know, Dan is certainly welcome to his opinions about these things. He he is a minority opinion about it. Um, And there's just as many stories on the other side. Uh, I have a good friend named Rob uh, McCutcheon. He was a devotee of Ayn Rand, atheist, uh, brilliant guy, polyglot, speaks seven languages, uh, went to Georgetown University, was out to prove his largely Christian professor, Catholic Christian professors wrong. But over time, read the Bible. And unlike Dan, could not get over how the Bible hung together from beginning to end. Themes that were developed over centuries by different writers led him to the place where this couldn't have happened with the internet. But the way the Bible has a consistent and clear message that the gospel, the good news of God, is that through the message and revelation of God, we can be saved out of a broken and hurting world. I think Dan's exactly right. When you look at the world, it's broken and hurting. And I don't know how many cultures Dan's lived in, but I've lived in a number of them. And I want to tell you, they're all broken. There's not a single culture you're going to look at and say, oh, this is a, this is a great culture. People are broken and sinful and wayward and cruel everywhere. So I, I just I find I find the idea of cherry picking bad examples of Christians being disobedient to God uh, unhelpful when it comes to understanding what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus as a savior and Lord of your life and the things that he does for us? The one thing that is different about Christianity than all other religions and in, in in a large extent, is that we are saved by faith. We're saved by faith in Christ. We put our trust and faith in him. And though I I think it's easy to pick out things from the Bible that seem odd or different because they're from different cultures, the vast majority of it hangs together and brings us truth. It brings us truth. 
So I, I would suggest, just by the way, Paul Copan's uh, two books, Is God a Moral Monster and Is God a Vindictive Bully, where he answers a lot of the questions that are raised by people, by atheists about Christianity. Let me, let me say, I, I'm not an apologist. You know, I'm not out to, I'm not out to uh, uh, win people over by arguments, particularly I'm, I'm out to, to tell you about, about what I and hundreds of thousands, millions of people have found out about Christ and what it means to follow him in truth. And so the book, my book, The Truth About Lies, is, is about those things that people don't understand about Jesus, that he cares about us, that he loves us, that being good is not good enough. We need a new heart. And Jesus promises to give us a new heart. Uh, he's not just an inspiration. He's, he's more than that. He's one that gave his life as a ransom for many. If there's someone to follow in the world, it's Jesus. Um, you know, you, you have two, peop- two kinds of people when they think about the afterlife. They, uh, both are lies. <laughs> one, one is there's compulsory heaven for everybody. And the other is we just, we just rot. Um, Jesus talked a lot about heaven, and uh, and so do most people in the world. Most people understand that there's an afterlife. People want to know what that's like, and especially when they're facing death. So, anyhow, those are just some thoughts. I I think when you say when you let me one thing that kind of bothers me when I hear about people saying that Christianity endorses slavery. Christianity is a time bomb into the institution of slavery. It's very clear that that's true. And uh, without Christianity, it would probably exist today. It still exists in Islam. Um, so at any rate, those are just some thoughts, Andy and yeah. Dan. Yeah, sure. Well, Dan, obviously, I mean, you're in a favorable position in that you you were a Christian. And so the personal relationship that Mac is talking about, presumably you would have said, you felt like you had that at one point in your in your past. So is is that the case? Did you feel like you had that personal relationship? At what cost did you give it up? And and finally, what have you managed to replace it with? Uh, you're right. Not only did I feel very strongly that I had a personal relationship with Jesus, and I loved it, and I read his Bible, and, and it was it was nourishing to me. I would say that I knew it. I would knew it with absolute certainty that Jesus was real, that God was his father. And so it was very difficult to change. You can imagine. Imagine yourself, Max, saying, whoops, I was wrong. You can't do that. You have such a certainty in your mind. It's so beautiful to you. It's so meaningful to you. It gives your life meaning and, and depth and all of that. And uh, the, the point you raised twice, Mac, already is that it's the only way to be saved. Salvation comes through Jesus. But think about it. Salvation only makes sense if you buy into the religious myth that there's such a thing as sin and damnation. Part of my job as an evangelist, half of my job as an evangelist was not convincing people to accept salvation. Half of my job was convincing them that they needed it. In other words, you're rotten, you're a sinner, you're bad, you're damned. If you die now, you're going to go to hell, you're going to be punished. And Jesus loved you so much that he died for your sins in John 3.16. But that's a religious teaching. That's kind of like a doctor running around. How much respect should we have for a doctor who runs around cutting people with a knife so that he can sell them a Band-Aid? 
Salvation is a solution of, of a problem of its own making. There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as damnation. Those are religious teachings. And I know you believe it, Mac, and I used to preach it as well. But those are the lies. Damnation and salvation, those are the actual lies that you built your house upon. Many of us look at the Bible and we say, okay, Jesus said a couple of good things. Fine, he said some horrible things. But we don't need it. We don't want it. We don't feel this gaping insecurity that our lives are meaningless and we're going to be damned forever. We, in fact, many of us laugh at that. My wife was raised with no religion at all. She's a third generation free thinking family. And when she hears me talk about my previous life, she just giggles because you used to believe that. You used to believe you were damned. You used to believe, you know what I mean? And, and you're wrong, Mac. It's not 99% who believe in God. It's at least 20% of the population, and maybe more, who have no belief in God at all. So it's not 99 In the U.S. population. I'm talking about worldwide, brother. I no, mean, I'm, I'm talking about, about worldwide. I'm talking about worldwide. Well, anyhow. Okay, okay, I'll give it to you. Spot it. By far, the minority. Well, yeah, but but by profession. And I'm sure there are a lot of Christians that you would say really are not even true Christians because they're not following the true... Even they, you would denounce. So even among those... Can I go back to... You don't believe in sin? Dan, you don't believe in sin? No, there's no such thing as sin. So so how did... What do you... What do you define sin for us? What, is, what does that mean? I, it just boggles my mind. Well, you, uh, if you know the Bible, you know the Greek word hamartia. You know what that is? No, I don't know Greek. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the New Testament, you know, hamartia. Hamartia is. How does that help us? You know, usually when people start saying Greek words, especially preachers, that it it it, come, it leads to chaos, which comes from the Greek word chaos, which means chaos. Ham, <laughs> but anyhow, hamartia. But usually, so, when people are allowed to finish their sentence, it becomes clear. Yeah, so, go ahead. Uh, yeah, finish your sentence. So that that word just basically means missing the mark. It's is not is and the mark was God's holiness, God's rules, God's character. So sin in, is a religious concept. It's not a moral concept. Sin is, has nothing to do with morality. In fact, if you read the Bible, the you know what you know what the biggest evil is in the whole Bible. I'm sure you've read the Bible. What what word is most connected with evil in the Bible? The most connected. Uh, theological understanding of evil is denying God. That's what no, sends it us to hell. Yes, no, it it's isn't. not that, believing God. That's it started in the. <laughs> it started you're in the not, garden. That's why we're broken. We're broken because we denied. Question, My yeah. question was: In the Bible, what concept is most often related to the word evil? You've read it, not a theological, but just basically numerically. If you see the word evil in the Bible, what is it mostly talking about? You tell about? me, Dan. I, you, it's a rhetorical question. Okay, anyway. well then, so, you, so Bible study is important. If the word, it's idolatry. The word evil is most often connected with idolatry, right. which meant worshiping some other religion than the Jews, Israelites' true religion. The second most common um, thing is breaking the Sabbath. How many people think that idolatry and breaking the Sabbath are moral issues? They're not. The third most important thing to connect with evil in the Bible is interracial marriage. The prophets were full of denunciations of Israelites who married outside the faith. How many of us today think that interracial marriage is evil? The religious concept of sin is totally non-moral. It's amoral. It has nothing to do with how we live our lives. It's just offending the king, basically. Sin is, yeah. is missing the mark. It's, it's making the emperor mad because we don't bow down and kiss his feet. That's yeah, all but, it is. But Dan, what if if it's true, he sets what's moral? And but so when he true. says in the first commandment that you shall have no other gods before me, he 
declares that as a sin because we don't believe in who he is. So the greatest sin, the greatest sin to God is denying him. The greatest sin about you, what sins, what sins people in a Christian worldview, what sends yes. people to hell is disbelief. I agree with you, Mac, that in the Christian worldview, that's what it means, but that's not a moral or ethical statement. That is a yes, religious it, statement. Yeah. That's a theological religious concept. It has nothing to do with how we treat each other. It has nothing to do with how we treat each other, how we behave, how we minimize harm, how we lessen risk, how we love. It has nothing to do with any of that. It just has to do with obeying and bowing down to the big daddy, otherwise you're in trouble. So here, here's how here's how I work that out, Dan. I mean, I, uh, the gospel, the message of God that leads us to salvation, whether it's translated in the Old Testament, good news, or translated in the New Testament as gospel, is that message which leads us to salvation. And that we do that through repentance and faith, that we understand that God is holy and just and righteous, and that he's our creator, that he sets the rules and that we, as broken and sinful people who've gone our own way, by disbelieving who he is, need to put our trust and faith in him and repentance. So when we say repent of sin, the primary sin that we repent of is disbelieving who Jesus was. Uh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you say we don't know God or we can't see God, but we can. Jesus said, look at me. Now, obviously, you have to take that on faith. You have to take it on faith if you don't believe it. I mean, Dan, I think it takes more faith to believe what you believe than what I believe. I have more evidence, I think. But what, I'm sorry, Andy, go ahead. Yeah, no, let me, let me just jump in because um, obviously Dan would say that the conclusion that he's reached is, is not a matter of sin, but of earnest searching for the truth of discovery, of methodology, um, would would you say then that after all of Dan's um, journey of research and learning, that actually the reason he's come to this place is not through reasoning, but because of a hard heartedness? Is that is that the stance that you would you would have to take with someone who's an atheist? That Dan's it's belief. I don't know. I can't see Dan's heart. I I wouldn't want to judge Dan. <laughs> we just met. Uh, and I, I'd like I like he said about me. I'm sure he's a nice guy and does good things, and you know, loves his wife. It sounds like he does, and so I'm grateful for those things. I wouldn't deny that Dan t- can do good things, uh, but all of us, according to the Bible, are broken and sinful and separated from God, and that what's required, though God didn't have to do this, what's required is to understand that there is a way back to him, but it's not through morality. It's through faith in him. Now, uh, if I can finish what I was going to say about the gospel, Andy, uh, so I started off by saying, that's the gospel. The gospel is that message of salvation. But out of that flows good things. Uh, It's very clear in the book of Galatians, Paul says that out of the gospel, the, the flow, the implication of those things out of the gospel are, are th- love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and, and self-control, faithfulness and self-control. Those are the things that flow out of the gospel into our lives. So we start by putting our trust and faith in Jesus, and then we live out the implications of that gospel in our lives, which produce that kind of morality. 
not putting idols. Look, when we start talking about the Ten Commandments, and I, I just, I, I, I've not done my research, but I, I probably really disagree with Dan about interracial marriage uh, being one of the primary things. I think there's other things in the Bible, but certainly idolatry is. But when you think about the Sabbath, heart, mind, lips, time are the four things that are the first part of the Ten Commandments. Our heart needs to be set on God. Our mouth speaks good things of God. Our time is God. Uh, uh, you know, in, in other words, what we do is under his lordship, that we follow him as Lord because we've, we've put our, our faith and trust in him. So when we think about the Ten Commandments, you've got to think of the context. Salvation came first. God rescued his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. God rescued them out of slavery. <laughs> Um, and then he tells them the way to live. That's how the Christian faith works. So fundamentalists, and this, uh, bless them, I'm, I'm grateful for them, but here's the problem with fundamentalism. They start with a law. They do not start with the gospel. They don't understand what it means, which is Dan's background. They don't understand what it means. It's not working our way. It's not the law. It's not by following the law that we're saved. We're saved by God working in us. He speaks to our hearts. We're drawn to him. He gives us the gift of faith. And then we put our faith and trust in him. And then we work out through that what it means to genuinely follow Christ. So, of course, I don't think, Dan, that, that people who slaughtered Indians were Christians. I don't. I'm sorry. Uh, they had a Bible in their hand. But again, going back, back to Matthew 7, people who say, Lord, Lord, before the Lord God are not known by him. And uh, so there's lots of there's lots of counterfeits out there. There's lots of people who are name only Christians. Um, so uh, anyhow, that's how I would answer Andy uh, some of the things that that Dan's saying. Yeah. Now moving on to you, Dan. I'm sure there's things you want to say in response to that. And of course, it helps in these situations where you you know the text that Mac is working from. You you know the Bible. You you know Scripture, even if you have perhaps slightly contrasting sort of um, views on it and analyses of it. What is interesting, I'm sure, for a lot of the, the, Not slightly contrasting. I think we're on polar yeah. ends of the spectrum, but that's yeah. okay. So I was being very British about it, Mac. Um, we obviously, <laughs> have, right, we obviously have new viewers on this channel all the time, and we've sort of come, as we often do, to the question of goodness. Now, Dan, you talked earlier about, you know, I think morality, the idea of morality is transcendental, so it transcends all religious structures. We've got the three transcendentals of goodness, truth, and beauty, and I'm sh I'm totally convinced you would have been asked this before. But for the benefit of, of new viewers, where then would you be able to land um, on the origin of that morality, on the origin of those transcendentals? Are they are they just vapor in the ether that have just sort of um, distilled and fallen down to humanity? How how are we and where are we grounding that sense of what is good in the absence of? Um, you know, the Judeo-Christian worldview, for instance. So I use that word transcend in a purely uh, literary sense, not in a metaphysical sense. I don't okay. think it transcends. Although you mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier. I just reread his Mere Christianity. He actually thinks, he actually thought that morality did does transcend, that there's some source outside of it. Morality is just a word. It's not a thing. Ethics and, and goodness are not things they are labels for the way that we treat each other or for the systems of philosophy that we might build to, to justify our actions or not. 
So to say that morality transcends the Bible doesn't mean that there's some other weird supernatural thing out there. But uh, putting aside the question of whether the Bible itself is moral, which it's not, the Bible's teachings most of the time are not moral, in spite of the fact that I used to preach the same sermons you preach, Max. So I understand from within your system how it might cohere. But outside of the system looking in, it doesn't cohere. But basically, and I wrote a whole book about it, it's called um, Mere Morality, which I'm echoing C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Um, and I show that C.S. Lewis basically fails in his attempt to provide this universal moral transcendence. And for me, and I think for most people, morality is summed up in one word. There are no absolute moral values. I mean, that's a that's a oxymoron to say there's a moral, uh, you know, external moral value. Uh, it boils down to one word, and that's the word harm. Harm is what we don't like, what we don't want. We don't want to suffer in hell. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to have disease. We don't want to have lack of shelter or, or whatever. Harm is the issue behind morality. And to avoid or lessen that harm in the real world, not to kiss the feet of some emperor to say you are great and don't punish me, but to actually work in the real world to lessen harm, acting with that intention to minimize harm as much as possible. That's what we mean by morality. So there are no objective moral values, but there are moral values that can be objectively justified by reference, not to some religious scripture, but by reference to the real world. How much damage is caused by uh, putting this pollutant into this river? What about this issue? What about war? What about disease? What about famine? What about all of these real world physical issues that we can actually measure? You can't measure the displeasure of a deity, but you can measure real harm in the real world. So uh, the, for me, I know there are other, you know, there are other naturalists and even some theistic philosophers who come up with a different moral system. And that's fine. And I think we can say that as long as there exists at least one naturalistic, plausible moral system, then we don't need a religious one. And in fact, my Native American ancestors were doing just fine before the Israelites came along to say they had the copyright to the Ten Commandments as if we're so stupid, we've, we human beings could not have figured out on our own that there's something wrong with killing, that there's something wrong with hurting other people. So basically, acting with the intention of minimizing real harm in the real world, that's what morality is. The Bible doesn't do that. When you look at the Bible, the word morality is not in the Bible. The word ethics is not in the Bible. And you don't see any affirmation that human beings have a right to be treated with dignity and respect. In fact, human life is, is valueless in the Bible. You know, there's genocides and there's killings. And it's not about humans. It's about God. This big deity wants to be honored and, and worshipped. Sorry, Dan, to pull on the reins uh, as you were galloping, galloping away once again. Um, but thank you. A, a very robust answer there to the question. Uh, we've still got one part of this episode still to come, uh, viewers and listeners. You are watching Unbelievable with me, your host, Andy Kind, and my guests are Dan Barker, former Christian, and Max Stiles, current Christian. We have to take a short break, but before we do, if, like today's guest Dan Barker, you have more questions about and objections to the Christian faith, why don't you check out our online course, Faith, Science and the Evidence for God, with Professor John Lennox. Go to premierunbelievable.com forward slash courses. We'll be back in just a moment. Well, welcome back to Unbelievable with me, your host, Andy Kind. And we are here in our third and final segment of today's episode, 
where we're talking about truth and lies. And I've been joined by Max Stiles, who's written a book, The Truth About Lies, and uh, Dan Barker, former Christian and now atheist, who thinks a lot of the things that Matt calls truth are in fact lies. So let's let's go back into that then. Dan, I know you wanted to ask Mac about truth. So why don't you go ahead and do that? Yeah, sorry, I, I rambled on in that last uh, last segment. You know, once a preacher, always a preacher, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, um, yes, and I'm not faulting Mac because this is a very limited format we have here, but your book is called Truth About Lies. So I guess the basic question to ask you, Mac, is how do you define the word truth? Well, of course, and, and Dan, it would be important to point out that the subtitle of the book is Why Jesus is More Relevant Than You Think. Again, we're in a post-truth society. And of course, I, I suspect you would, you would say there's no such thing as truth, especially as I would define it. But I would say Jesus sets a definition of truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know and remember from sort of a liberal Christian background that most of the people I knew would say all religions lead to the same place at the top of the mountain. We're just on different paths up. And uh, for a while, I, I, I thought that sounded cool. Um, and then I didn't. And now I see the truth of it uh, in that, yeah, we're all winding our way to the top when we will meet God. But according to Jesus, we will meet him. Uh, through, through him, we will meet the Father, either as Father or, or as Judge. God is the author of truth. And so I stake my, I'm staking my life. I know this makes you sad, Dan, just as your life makes me sad. I'm not I'm, sad. I'm taking, I'm, happy I'm for taking, you. what's that? I'm Say happy again? for you. I'm not sad. I stake my life on the truth of Jesus and that, that we cannot reach God except through him. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's what I think is truth. Jesus said it, and uh, that's that's what I stake my life on, that Jesus is the truth. Dan, can we get a counter-definition from you? Well, let's point out that Mac did not give a definition of the word truth. He just said Jesus is the truth. That's impossible. The truth cannot be a person. Truth is not a thing. It's not like you can go to the store and buy some truth, you know. Truth and I think most philosophers would agree, some might disagree, uh, truth is can only be applied to a statement or a proposition. The only thing that can be true or false is a statement, and that statement must have at least one reference to reality in it and that we can gen check with reality. So truth is the degree with which a statement corresponds to reality. So Jesus cannot be the truth. You might say Jesus said some true things. Of course, when we look at the teachings of Jesus, we do find that he said some untrue things. Uh, he said, for example, um, all things whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, believing you shall receive. He said all things. And he repeated that. And some of the other New Testament writers said the same thing. That's not true. It's not true that when Christians pray to God and ask for all things, 
And what does that word mean? Am I not free to interpret the phrase all things to mean all things? So no, that, there's not. a lot of things he said that were actually not true. He said the mustard seed is the smallest of all seed. Maybe that was metaphorical, but it that is was metaphorical, not but... true. There were things that he said that, so if you're saying Jesus is the truth, you're, you're making a totally incoherent and meaningless statement. Dan, a person I'm not cannot saying be. that. I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. That's well, what then Jesus he said. Was, well, then Jesus was wrong. Well, you can take that up with him later. But I, I just, you wanted me to define how I define truth, and that's how I do it. I believe Jesus is truth. I believe his but don't life you is see, Matt? And listen, listen, Dan, don't you think, look, his fights were with the religious people of the world in his day. By far, the people he called down for their immorality were the most religious people the world has ever, ever seen, the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites, and he said their lives were lies. So truth is, truth is not just a proposition. You can live a lie, can't you? I mean, I, so when Jesus says he's the truth, He's saying that he brings what's true and right and good for our lives. And the thing that's true is that God exists. He sets the standards for us and that we learn through revelation in his word what that means. One of the things that he loves besides people is he loves justice, absolute justice. And so that we trust in one in, in the end, there will be complete justice. For those who murdered your ancestors uh, that you can't do anything about and those who are getting away with murder now uh, in the world, in a broken, horrible, awful world that we, we're not going to change, uh, though I've attempted to, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I, I find, I find it, uh, what was it, George Orwell said, ideas so crazy only an intellectual could believe them. I just find it odd that that you would discard Jesus as the truth. Who else would you go to? I mean, what what other person lived such an exemplary life? I don't think Jesus lived an exemplary life. He did some good things. Any one of us could have said and done as much as he did. And his dying on the cross was really to satisfy the wrath of his father. He said, I and the father are one. Yeah. And so the whole Old Testament, his father before him, that he quoted with, with glee, basically, he quoted him a lot, it was all about the jealousy of this being. This He called himself the husband. Jealousy, don't go after other idols. So I don't see that as a valuable thing that he Unless did. It's but true, me, point Unless it's true, Dan. Unless it's true. If it's true that going after you, other idols Max, leads to death. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it leads to death. It does. Is, no, I didn't, I didn't say one way or the other. I said, Dan, look, if it's true, that going after idols leads to death. It's crazy not to follow the words of Jesus. No, it might be crazy to follow it because that would mean you are acquiescing to this unjust system that people should be punished for not kissing the feet of a deep. I would rather, if there's a God who created hell, I would rather go to hell than go to heaven to pretend to worship this monster that would create a place like hell. Don't you have any moral dignity? Don't you have any sense of, you know, of, you, of what is really Dan, true. By the way, you did not answer the question. You did not define the word truth. You just I'm simply sorry, said, Dan, is, I'm is sorry. I'm sorry I haven't met your standards. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> That's my answer. That's my answer. I mean, I mean I, it, you, you, it's kind of like, Dan, you're setting, the, you're setting the rules. You're setting the rules for God. You're setting the rules for me and yourself. 
I just, I'm sorry. I, I disagree. I don't think I want to follow Dan's rules. I want to follow God's rules. Of course we disagree, Mac. That's why we're having a debate. Yeah, that's but why we're on the on the show. Whose mind am I supposed to use when I'm reading the Bible, when I'm thinking about it? Whose mind am I supposed to utilize as I make a decision about whether I think this is good or true or moral? Am I supposed to just turn off my mind and just follow some preacher, some guru, some some king? Or am I supposed to use the brain that I have to analyze, to read, to study, and to make my own decision? And my decision is different from yours because my values are different than yours. So we do have different no values. No problem. But you, you think you I'm going to suffer, don't you? You think I'm going to... Yeah. But I don't think you are. I'm thinking the best about you. And so I, it, well, I'm not thinking please. bad about you. I just think I like anyone you think who's I'm gonna headed suffer. for the I like anyone you think headed I'm for the curve forever because I don't think like you do. I think it's going to be worse than that and it's not because you don't think like I do. It's because you don't align yourself with the ways of God and what he's revealed well, I don't. himself to be. And if, I know, if he I know, wants I know. To show, it's okay. I'm not I'm not saying I'm, if I, he wants to if this God you believe in wants to prove what a big macho bully he is by t torturing someone like me for eternity, then let him prove how great and moral he is. Dan, listen to the things you've already said about him. If it's true, even on this show, even if it's true that he is who he says he is, then the kind of things you've said about him are horrendous. I mean, look, if, if we were in an Islamic society and you were speaking against Allah or his uh, Quran in that world, they they wouldn't worry about hell. They'd be cutting off your head right now. So in one sense, uh, you know, let's 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 face it. There's great mercy and grace because our world is that place in between heaven and hell. The closest thing a Christian gets to hell is earth. The closest thing a, a non-Christian, a denier of God, gets to heaven is earth. And this is a place where we must decide. I believe that God is a loving God, but I believe one of his loves is justice. I believe that he will bring perfect and complete justice to the world. And so the, the world is broken. We've denied God. We put off Jesus. And that's the basis for our acceptance into our rejection of Christian faith. Can I respond quickly there, uh, Andy? Yeah, well, I was, I was just going to jump in ahead of you slightly, Dan, if that's okay. And say a couple of things, because obviously we've got Mac saying that Jesus is the truth um, and Dan saying, well, that's not a definition of truth because only only a statement can be true or false. Mac, obviously your background is in science, so you are aware, presumably, of scientific truth. So I'm interested in hearing from you what you think the difference between a scientific truth is <laughs> well, and, listen, and, a, and a personal truth. By definition... By definition, science is always wrong. You know, the scientific theory is based on this idea that we don't know everything and that we're testing a hypothesis, a guess, really, a fancy word for guess. Uh, so, you know, every stage in the way is, is uh, proved wrong. The amazing thing about the Christian faith is how consistent it's been over centuries and millenniums and even before in, in, in the the Old Testament, it's a, a consistent pattern that confirms, I think, scientifically that Christianity has great evidence to follow it, to believe it, to see it as true. And certainly when you start getting into the life of Jesus, that there are good reasons 
like I said to Dan, uh, Dan, I, I think it takes more faith to be an atheist in today's world than it than it does to be a Christian. Um, and I I appreciate Dan's faith in that. So that I I mean scientifically, <laughs> I mean it's ridiculous. People who aren't scientists love to talk about following science or scientific truth. And it's, it's just uh, as flimsy as anything in the world, for that matter. So I think, uh, yeah, let's recognize Dan is operating on faith as well. I, I, I don't know. Andy, is that answering your question? I, yeah, well, that does, that does answer the question. I will let Dan respond in a bit. The other thing I wanted to say, though, is because um, as the Christian here in this conversation, you have talked about God being good and God loving justice. You can understand, though, presumably, why Dan and, in fact, plenty of people either side of the Christian atheist divide would say, but actually punishing people eternally in hell for not believing and and not wanting to be with Jesus, that doesn't feel like justice, does it? I mean, you could imagine that maybe... Right, I know. I think that's an important thing to say. How how would you respond to that? That I go back to the garden that our ancestors horribly believed a lie. They believed an untruth about God. They believed he was sort of a monster. And they decided they wanted to follow their own way. And so they broke fellowship with God by disbelieving him and following a lie, the lie of Satan, pictured in Genesis as a serpent. And and they... they uh, Horribly, their sin is passed on from person to person, like sin is. We're like crack babies. You know, we're born into this system. Now, God in his goodness has decided that not all would perish. Uh, He calls many to follow him. He calls all to follow him who want to follow him. There's no ethnic uh, or language barrier to following, following God, especially in Christ. But yeah, it's not so much that we didn't believe, it's that we were born in sin. Now, Dan doesn't believe in sin, so it's hard to hard to imagine for me when I look at the world and see the brokenness of it. Look, I, I've been in malnourishment clinics in Guatemala. I've held dying babies in my arms. I've been in the slums of Kenya. Uh, I've walked through refugee camps in northern Iraq. I've seen the brokenness and pain of the world. And what people need is Jesus. They need to know the life-giving nature of Christ. He's the one that brings change. He's the one that will bring change to your heart. So for anyone who's, who's broken and hurting and in need and alone, they don't need the God of Dan. They need the God in, in Jesus Christ. So, so I just... Uh, Again, I'm not out to convert hardcore atheists. I'm not. It's fine for them to follow their way. But sometimes I I worry that they're not looking at they're not looking at the whole of Christianity. And that's again why I wrote the truth about lies. Sure. Well, I know I know Dan wanted to ask you a, a question a while back. So Dan, is that still the question you'd like to I thought like the question was in? truth. What is truth? Yeah, that was the question. And yeah, for the record, it I think wasn't really answered. But let's move on here. I, I think your previous question, Andy, was quite astute there. Uh, the justice of God is basically punishment. And uh, I think, and I think most reasonable, kind people think that any f- system of philosophy that's 
based on the threat of violence is a morally bankrupt system. And if in order to be good, you have to be afraid of being tortured for eternity or whatever that means. And that's not, that is not a moral system. That is a religious system. And yet, um, Mac, yes, the world has problems in it, many problems, but the world is not broken. There is so much goodness. There's so much compassion. There's so much giving. There's so much caring. There's so much love. There's so much, when you see a headline of some horrible thing, what's the first thing you say? You say, what an inhuman thing to do. We assume that the basic human nature is goodness, and it is. It's not evil. It's not broken. If you buy this myth, you sell this negative self-image that Christianity sells, that we're all bad, well, that can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Believing in Jesus doesn't help a single one of those crack babies. Believing in Jesus and turning your life over to salvation doesn't help the starving people in Kenya. What helps is real action by ethical people, religious or not. Many religious people are good and ethical in spite of their faith, and many non-religious people that I know, I, I know thousands and thousands of good, caring, sacrificing, giving people who are positive and optimistic about our chances, who have real hope, not hope for some pie in the sky that you're going to live forever, whatever that means, but real hope that we will improve this world that we live in, which is what morality is really all about. And let me just end just quickly by saying that if, if the Bible is the source of truth, then why is it that believers can go to that Bible and fall on different sides of those issues? Take any moral issue we're struggling with right now, and, uh, a gay marriage and gay rights, uh, birth control Dan, or Dan, abortion Dan, rights please. or doctor-assisted suicide or gun control. or Please take, stop. Stop, take, Dan. Take please. Death with dignity. Take any of those issues. You will find good believing, Bible-believing Christians falling on both sides of those yeah, issues. Yeah, of course they There's are. There's no moral guidance in the Bible. Dan, I'm... I'm not talking, of course there are, of course there are. I'm talking about how to be reunited with the living God. I'm talking about what it means to have a relationship with him, to be in line with who he is. I think those things are just kind of the capital of, of God's goodness in, in our world. I believe those, those things you've listed and Christians do fall on both sides, uh, but and I, I think Christians are ones that act. So I would say the crack baby that's being cared by a Christian nurse is being cared for by Jesus. Uh, but, but at any rate, I it's hard to know how to go out at every single thing you're saying. I think you're cherry picking things, and it's just as easy for other people to do about atheists. But I I find it. I think it would be offensive if I started talking about all the evils that atheists have uh, perpetrated on the world, and uh, and I, I guess I I'm willing to take your slander of my faith and faith in Jesus, uh, because Jesus says turn the other cheek, right? I mean, I, that's a you you say bad things about Jesus, you call God a monster. And I hope you understand it's deeply offensive language to me. And I see it as immoral, as immoral, immoral thing to do. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to, how to get at that, Dan. Help me. Well, we probably don't have time to get at that. We've got a couple of minutes uh, left. And so we both have two people very passionate, um, very convinced and persuaded in their own worldview. 
And so I'm just wondering, is is there a way to end on some sort of common ground? Because you, you, you've both said that you believe the other person's stance um, to be immoral in different ways. So for you, Dan, very quickly, within sort of 30 seconds or so, where, where's the where's the common ground? Is there is there a utilitarian way to proceed, and and how does that play into your hope for humanity without it becoming you know wishful thinking? Yes, there is, and I did not slander Mac. I pointed out the moral deficiencies of the Bible, and if Mac wants to take that personally and he wants to feel offended, well, that's your business. But um, I think. I'm assuming, and looking at you, I think Mac's a good person. Like most Christians I know, most Jews that I know, most Muslims that I know, most Hindus, and I was just in India recently, they're good, good people. At heart, they're really good people. And here in Madison, Wisconsin, where I live, we there's a lot of atheists here. We find ourselves marching in the same parades with Christians and with Jews because it's not the faith or the lack of faith that matters. It's the real problems in the real world that we're trying to solve so I bet you there are issues where Mac and I would be marching together in the same parade, holding the same banners, because we care about this world first. I'm sure that's true. Uh, I think that we would march in the same parade. And the difference, I would say, is that my march is um, out of my commitment to Christ. And I would not be there if it was not for him. That's That's where we divide. So it's not about... Again, it's not about what we do. It's about a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, not a bad sentence to end on, Mac. And we have come to a peaceable end for this episode, my friends. So um, all that remains for me to do is to is to thank both of you for, um, for giving such um, good answers to the questions that have been asked by one another and, and by me. My guests today on Unbelievable have been Max Stiles and Dan Barker. We've been talking about truth and lies. And we have two people with very differing opinions, maybe not quite ships that have passed in the night, but certainly ships that are not quite in the same harbour. Nevertheless, this is why we have these conversations. So we wonder what what you think. Why don't you let us know? Uh, Unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Email us. Let us know who persuaded you, who convinced you, what you thought about the conversation. You can follow us on Instagram at Premier Unbelievable. We're also on X, formerly known as, as Twitter, at Unbelievable FE. That's Foxtrot Echo. So there we are, another episode done and dusted. From me, your host, Andy Kine, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again sometime soon. All the best. Thank you for joining us on Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking. We would love to hear your thoughts. Do get in touch. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Twitter account at unbelievablefe or on the Premier Unbelievable Facebook page. And do check out our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there gives you access to all of our web content and our newsletter, through which you can gain access to hours of exclusive bonus content. That's premierunbelievable.com. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you will automatically be entered into our competition to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to Unbelievable, please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. Thank you for listening and see you next week.